Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, love you, and adore you. I thank you, Father, for giving this opportunity to open up your word, to dig into the presence, the power, and the mantle of your Ruach HaKodesh, of your Holy Spirit. I pray that as we uh, open up the book of Acts tonight, that you will speak through it, that you will speak into our hearts and our lives, and that you will uh, impact us with the power and the might of your Ruach HaKodesh, that we might shine the light of your presence in the world around us and impact this world for the good of your kingdom. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. Um, so up to this point, we've been talking about the Ruach HaKodesh from a, uh, a perspective of how we see things done in the Tanakh. And, and the Ruach, we know as, I mean, we've spent uh, the last eight weeks building up to this point as we dig into the book of Acts tonight, and the first six weeks was in the Tanakh. And so as we look through the Tanakh, what we realize is the Ruach HaKodesh was as much alive and active in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, as it has been in the Gospels and, and now we see in the book of Acts. Um, but what we notice is that the Ruach HaKodesh, the mantle of the Ruach HaKodesh, was put from one person to another. It was uh, uh, the anointing of the mantle of the Ruach was on an individual basis. It wasn't to the masses. It was on an individual basis for a time and a purpose. We look at the prophets. We look at uh, the kings. We look at Moses and Joshua. We look at any of these characters, and we see that the, the Ruach HaKodesh, the mantle of the Holy Spirit, was upon an individual or certain individuals for a specific purpose, a specific time, um, and, and for God's reasons. And what we begin to see this evening as we move into the book of Acts is that all of a sudden the tables flip. And what God intended, as we said in session one, what God intended at creation, which was for us to experience the presence of the Lord all the time, for us to be in the presence at all times, as we move into Acts, and particularly Acts 2 and everything that happens thereafter, we start to realize that the Ruach HaKodesh is no longer an individualized basis. It's no longer something that just specific people have for specific purposes anymore, but instead it has now been poured out upon the masses and available for all who are willing to receive and to be used by God for His purposes. And that's the key to the, to the Holy Spirit is we don't have it just for kicks and giggles. Like, uh, we don't have the Holy Spirit just so we can prophesy and speak in tongues and, and, and heal people. It's not like a parlor show. It's not a carnival act. It's, it's for God's purposes and particularly for the purposes of his kingdom to be added to. If you look through the book of Acts, and we're going to dig into this in a few minutes, if we look through the book of Acts, every time there was a move of God, almost immediately afterwards what we see is, and there were those that were added who were being saved. There were those that were added who were filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, with the Holy Spirit. Um, so we realize that the purpose of, his, of the power and presence of his Ruach, the purpose of the mantle of the Ruach upon us is for his kingdom, not for our own goals or our own gain or our own purposes, but it's for the purpose of his kingdom. So this evening we are moving from the mantle on one purpose, on one person, uh, and going to from there to others, as we see with Elijah and Elisha and so on, to the mantle being poured out freely from heaven for all to receive. So uh, we're going to begin looking at the Ruach HaKodesh of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 and 2. Um, in Acts chapter 1, we see the ascension of Messiah. We see Yeshua is on the, uh, the Mount of Olives. He ascends into heaven. And uh, as he ascends into heaven, verse, uh, sorry, verse chapter 1, verse 8 says, 
And it's one of the most important verses, I think, in this passage. It says, but you will receive, and this is the, the, the messenger, the angel speaking, says, but you will receive power when the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and through all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we will receive the Ruach HaKodesh for what purpose? To be witnesses of his kingdom to Judea, Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth, right? Not for our purposes, not for the purposes that anyone else has, but for his purposes and for his kingdom. And so as we've talked about before here at Maim Chaim, the, the way that the apostles, the way that the disciples, the Talmudim acted after Messiah ascended into heaven, after they watched this miraculous event, and the way that they acted at the end of Acts 2 after the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh really didn't change. Right? They gathered together after Yeshua's ascension, they gathered together in Jerusalem where they normally did, and they studied, and they prayed, and they taught one another, and they taught those that came in, and they, they shared uh, uh, bread together, they, they fellowshiped, they ate together, they spent time as a community. And then at the end of Acts 2, after the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, what happens? They do the exact same thing. The only difference now is the power and the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh, the power and presence of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is now upon them, and there are those being added to their numbers daily that being saved, whereas at the end of Acts 1, that was not the case. But we go to Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It says, When the day of Shavuot uh, had come, they were, all, they were all together in one place. Where was that one place? Jerusalem, at the temple. It wasn't in some random upstairs apartment down the street somewhere. Uh, you know, we, uh, far too often people, and this is just a, a, a rabbit trail for you, far too often people confuse what's going on with chapter 1 with what's going on in chapter 2. In chapter 1, it talks about them gathering in the upper room. It doesn't talk about that in Acts chapter 2. It talks about how there were those from, and we're going to read this in a second, there were those from uh, Jewish descent from all over the, the globe that were there to celebrate Shavuot. Where would they be going? They'd be going to Jerusalem, to the temple, because of it's a Shalosh Regalim. It is one of the pilgrimage feasts, and, uh, and that's where they would be. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues like fire spreading out appeared to them and settled on each one of them. They were all filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Ruach enabled them to speak. Notice, they didn't just begin speaking in tongues however they wanted. They began speaking in tongues as the Ruach enabled them to speak. Now Jewish people, verse 5, were saying in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound came, the crowd gathered. They were bewildered because each was hearing them speak in his own language. They weren't speaking random noises. It wasn't you know, sounds that have never been heard before. They were speaking languages as the Spirit of God led them that others would be able to understand, but they did not. And I believe what they were speaking was the gospel. But it says, and when the sound came, they gathered, the crowd gathered, they were bewildered because each were hearing them speak in, their, in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished at saying, all these who were speaking, aren't they Galileans? How is it that each hear our own birth language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and those living in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya towards Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jewish people and proselytes, those who converted to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear the, them declaring in our tongues the mighty deeds of God. They aren't just randomly making noises. They are speaking in foreign languages to them the mighty deeds of God, which is why I believe they're speaking the gospel. 
And then it goes on after all of this occurs. They begin to ask, are these guys drunk? What in the world's going on? And uh, Peter begins to preach and he begins to go back to the very beginning and says, this is exactly what the scriptures tell us is going to happen. This is exactly what Messiah said was going to happen. This is exactly what needs to go on. And then he says, now repent and be baptized so that you may be saved. And it says there were 3,000 added that day who were saved. Um, and and it's, it's, it's mind-boggling watch how, watching how this, this all transpires. And I'll give you a little, a little idea on what at least I believe uh, speaking in tongues is or the gift of tongues is. Now, you know, we see people talk about the personal prayer language and, and, and speaking in tongues for the edification of the body and so on. Right now I'm speaking in terms of that which is to be heard by all which is for the edification of the body, which uh, the, the Bible tells us must require uh, translation or, or inter, uh, interpretation so that people know what it is that's being said or else it's for the individual and they need to keep it themselves. But if we go all the way back to Genesis, we read about the Tower of Babel. At the Tower of Babel, it says that God realized if we as humans, as messed up as we can be, if we as humans all agreed to do something together, nothing's impossible, Right? You go forward and Yeshua says, where two or three are gathered together, there I will be. He says, when we come together in his power, nothing's impossible. But he realizes that as humans, if we come together in agreement on any purpose, nothing is impossible. And so it says that he confounded the language. He didn't create new languages. I believe that what he did was he confused the way we hear language. I wouldn't be surprised that in the heavenlies, there's still only one language that God hears. All right? We hear different because he's confounded the languages. And then this is supported when we go to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, it says, there were men from every nation who heard them speaking in their own language. And they said, aren't these men from Galilee? Aren't these men who speak Hebrew or Aramaic? Why is it that we're hearing them in all these other languages if they're not from our homeland? If they don't speak what we normally speak, how is it we're hearing them in our language? I believe that when the power of the Ruach fell in Acts chapter 2, it unconfounded the hearing of those who were there. All right? And so we were able to hear the message that the Lord wanted spoken. So as we see in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we see this outpouring that allows it to be given to all, not just to a particular individual for a particular purpose at a particular time, but the Ruach HaKodesh, the mantle of the Holy Spirit, is now available for all who will believe in Messiah, be repented of sins, and be uh, immersed for remission of sin. The power and the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh is available for all, for his purposes, not for ours, but for the purpose of the kingdom. And it is now a mass availability. Why? Because God intended for us to be in his presence anyways. It wasn't anything new, but instead now, because as I've said before, we were created to be in his presence, we sinned, he moved us from his presence, put his presence in our midst to lead us, then he put his presence inside of us so that ultimately we could be restored to being in his presence again, all right? And so as we look at all this, what we see is that the Ruach HaKodesh now dwelling with inside of us is literally His presence, His Shekhinah, His divine glory within us, allowing us to follow His lead, to follow what He's doing. In, uh, in Acts chapter 2, what we realize is that there is this amazing experience that occurs, but it's an experience that mirrors Exodus 19 and 20. 
There's fire, there's quaking of the ground, there's heavenly sounds, there's heavenly shofar blasts, if you would. There's uh, the, the message of God being spoken boldly and loud for all to hear, just like at Mount Sinai, where the entire nation heard the audible voice of God speak forth. They hear the, the mighty deeds of God all at once in one voice, they hear it. And so we see it's a mirror image, it's a uh, uh, correlating story to the accounts of Exodus 19 and 20 and the account of Exodus of Acts chapter 2. However, the difference being, or, or the difference from what we're about to see being that in Acts chapter 2 at uh, the temple in Jerusalem, it was only for Jews. Only those who were of blood lineage uh, of Abraham and those who had converted to Judaism already, the proselytes, only they had access to the Holy Spirit at that very moment. It's not to say that's to stay that way forever, but at that moment, only they had access to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But then we move forward to Acts chapter 2. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 10. We go forward to Acts chapter 10 and we read an account that many people are very much aware of because far too often we like to take it out of context and, and really make it say what we want it to say. And, oh, Peter had this vision and we can eat whatever the heck we want now. It doesn't matter anymore. And, and in order to come to that conclusion, we have to ignore that there was actually something greater going on and Peter's vision was merely a sandwich, the, the, the interior of the sandwich, and it was the bread on the outside that really mattered. Um, and, and what we see at the very beginning of chapter 10 is Cornelius, this, this Gentile man, has this encounter with the Lord, and the Lord says, I want you to send your servants, I want you to send your men to go to Peter, ask Peter to come speak to you. Peter has a message for you. Peter, one, doesn't know he has a message for them. Peter hasn't received said message yet. Number two, Peter doesn't like Gentiles. Peter's a Jew's Jew. He doesn't want to be around Gentiles. He doesn't like Gentiles. He doesn't want to go near Gentiles. That's why he stays in Jerusalem, where there are very few Gentiles. All right? He didn't want to go anywhere near them. And God was well aware of that. When God told Cornelius' men, uh, Cornelius to send men to go and find uh, Peter, God was well aware of Peter's heart. I know it's hard to believe, but God knows our hearts even better than we do. God was well aware of Peter's heart. And so God had to waken Peter up to what was about to happen because God had a purpose for Peter. He had a, a, a task for Peter. And so he has, Peter falls asleep in this deep trance on the roof and all of a sudden this, this sheet comes down in this vision. The sheet comes down filled with all kinds of unclean foods. And the Lord says, get up and eat. And Peter said, no, it's not happening. I've never put anything unclean in my mouth. I don't care who you are. It's not happening. And so the sheet disappears. Well, it comes down again and the Lord says, get up and eat. And he says, no, I'm not doing it. I've never put anything unclean in my mouth. This isn't happening either. And again, the Lord says, get up and eat. And he says, no, I've never put anything unclean in my mouth, and I'm not starting now. And all of a sudden, the sheet vanishes. And the Lord says, do not call anything I've made clean unclean. Anybody argued with God? You ever won? I've never won arguing with God. I've tried. I've tried. He's really good and proves I'm not. Peter appears to have won this argument. He appears to have won this argument. But it was nothing about the food or the, the meat that was on that sheet. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with the statement that God just made to Peter. Do not call anything I've made clean unclean. And the very next thing that happens. Hey, Peter, we're a bunch of Gentiles coming to ask you to come to our Gentile master's house to preach to Gentiles about your Jewish Messiah. And as soon as Peter hears them talk, it says he understood what the Lord was saying. And he goes with them immediately, which would have not happened without that vision. And then in verse... Uh, 
24, the following day, he entered uh, Caesarea. Cornelius was waiting there for him, uh, waiting for them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. Now, Peter thought he was just going to talk to Cornelius, right? He called a house full of folks. Like, he called everybody. He knew block party at my house. Jews coming to talk to us. Block party. Let's make this happen. Everybody's welcome. Fire pits going. There's drinks flowing. Everybody's coming. And so uh, it says, as Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter pulled him up saying, stand up, I too am just a man. By the way, that's how we can tell whether it was Yeshua in the Tanakh, whether it was pre-incarnate Yeshua or just an angel. Because anytime an angel appeared in the Tanakh in the Old Testament and somebody bowed down to worship, they said, get up, get up. You only worship God. There were numerous times that we see what is described as the angel of the Lord Most High, and they fall down to worship him, and he says nothing. It's because it's God in flesh. It is God in human form. It is what uh, Colossians 1.15 calls the visible image of the invisible God. It is not just an ordinary angel. So he says, get up, for I am just a man. Verse 27, talking with him, Peter went inside and found many people gathered. He said to them, you yourselves know that it is not permitted for a Jewish man to associate with a non-Jew or to visit him. Yet God has shown me I should call no one unholy or unclean. So I came without objection. When I was sent for, I asked then, what is the reason why you sent for me? Notice he says, I know now, God showed me, that I should call no one unclean or unholy. He didn't say God showed me I should eat a ham sandwich or that God made a ham sandwich unclean or holy. He says, I should call no man, right? The vision had to do with meat coming down, unclean meats. How did he get to extrapolate that it was about men, except that it was a vision from the Lord telling him it was about men? Cornelius declares, four days ago at this hour, I was praying in the Micha, uh, which is the, the afternoon prayers, which by the way means he observed Judaism. He just hadn't converted to Judaism. Uh, in my house, suddenly a man stood in front of me in shining clothes. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your tzedakah, your righteousness, remembered before God. Therefore, ascend to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. Uh, he is staying in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. Could you imagine being Simon living in Simon's house? It's got to be confusing. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, uh, we, now then, we are all here before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So then Peter begins to preach and begins to, to tell them about everything that the Lord had done, everything that he did in Jerusalem, everything that happened when Messiah died, was buried, resurrected, ascended to heaven, the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, and so on. Verse 41, we skip down. Verse 41 says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, fell on all those hearing the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were astonished. Because the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and magnifying God. They heard them speaking in tongues and magnifying God. How did they know they were magnifying God? These weren't people that spoke Hebrew regularly. They weren't people that spoke Aramaic regularly. They were speaking to men with unconfound hearing, who were hearing of the good deeds, the mighty deeds of the Lord. Then Peter answered, Can anyone refuse water for these to be immersed who have received the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, just as we did? In other words, in the same way it happened to us, they've received it too. It is now available for Jew and Gentile. 
all alike and to the masses. So he commanded them to be immersed in the name of Messiah Yeshua. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. And what we see here, and it's a connection to Romans, uh, is that the, the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh fell on the Jews first, and then from the Jews it went to the nations. All right? Who is it that encamped around the tabernacle in the wilderness? Israel, right? The Jewish people. They encamped around the tabernacle in the wilderness. So anything that happens in heaven, uh, we, we pray all the time, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the tabernacle was the temporary dwelling place for the presence of the Lord here on earth. So anything that happened in heaven happened in the tabernacle because they were mirroring images, right? The scripture tells us that Moses built it just like the Lord showed him in heaven. So it's a mirror image. So when the presence fell in the temple, who is it that normally would have been living around the temple? The Jews, right? Notice in the second temple, the ark wasn't there. In the first century, the second temple, the ark wasn't there, which meant what did not reside in the, te- in the temple? The presence of the Lord. There was no column of fire. There was no column of cloud. There was none of that at the second temple. Why? Because God was preparing through the second temple a way for his presence to not be trapped inside a permanent building anymore, but to return to temporal dwelling places. So his presence came down, the Ruach HaKodesh comes down through the tabernacle, through the temple, through the Holy of Holies, busts out through the split open curtains that allowed for all to have access to the presence of God and comes out and hits the power, the, the, the power and the might of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, hits the Jews that are scattered around and the proselytes that are scattered around that are worshiping God on Shavuot. And then from there, it goes from the Jews to the nations. And the nations feel it and experience it and are empowered by it. And at Cornelius' house, there were those that were, uh, that were his family and his friends that were all Gentiles that all of a sudden found Messiah and were filled with the power and the presence of the dwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh, of the mantle of the Ruach HaKodesh. Now we see this replicated in Romans where Paul talks about salvation is to the Jew first and likewise to the Gentile and also to the Gentile, Right? Same thing, the salvation leads to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God also is to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, which is exactly how we saw it play out in the book of Acts. It's exactly how we've seen it play out in the Tanakh all the way up to this point. It was Jews that were impacted by the power of the Ruach HaKodesh to impact the nations. And in the same sense in Acts, we see it's Jews that are power empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh to impact the nations. Now, I want to, uh, I want to real quick... I'm going to kind of jostle my notes around a little bit here um, because uh, I, I really feel like at this point we have to transition to a, a different talking point that I had intended on at this point. I intended this to be later in this study, but I feel like it's necessary for it to be at this point. Um, and, and, and that idea is, anybody heard the word dunamis? The dunamis power of God, right? Um, dunamis, it's a Greek word. We see it in, in Acts the first time in Acts 1.8. Um, it's used, the dunamis or some form of dunamis, which is from the, the Greek word dunamai, the root word dunamai. Um, we see this word in the book of Acts 10 times. You know how many we see it throughout the Brachadashah? Throughout the Brachadashah, we see it 120 times, all right? Which means it's, it's an important word. God uses it that often. It's an important word. So there's, there's 10 times in the book of Acts. For those that want to take reference, I'll, I'll refer you to, you can write them down. We're not going to look at them all at this very moment, but you can look at them at home. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Acts chapter 3, verse 12. Acts chapter 4, verse 7 and verse 33. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. 
Acts chapter 8, verse 10 and 13. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. And Acts chapter 19, verse 11. Ten times in the book of Acts that we see the word dunamis, which is, or dunamai, some form of dunamai, which is the root word. Now, what we see as we look at this word uh, is it's talking of the power of the mantle of the Ruach HaKodesh. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read, But you will receive power, dunamis, power, when the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, has come upon you. Power in Greek is, as we said, the word dunamis, meaning force, especially miraculous power from the root word dunamai, meaning to be able or possible. Uh, it's always used in reference. It doesn't matter if it's the 10 times the book of Acts or, or the 120 times in the entirety of the Brachetashah of the New Covenant writings in the New Testament. It is always used in reference to God's power, miracles, signs, and wonders. So when we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, and you will receive the dunamis power when the Ruach HaKodesh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We will receive dunamis power. It's referencing the signs, wonders, miracles, the literal divine power of God that will flow through us. You ever stuck your finger in an electrical socket? If you haven't, I recommend first you lick it and then stick it. No, um, what you know when you put your finger into an electrical socket is you feel what? You feel power, right? It's not a good power. <laughs> it's going to get your attention one way or another, but it's not a good power, but it's power. And the same thing goes for us as believers. We're plugged into a very specific electrical socket. We're plugged into the electrical socket of the power of God, the presence of his divine mantle of the Ruach HaKodesh. And so there is a divine power that is given to us. We looked at Elijah and Elisha. Elijah and Elisha both performed miracles, signs, and wonders, right? They didn't just prophesy. They proved that God sent them and was speaking through them by the signs and wonders that God did through them. Same thing with Moses, with Joshua. Same thing with, uh, with, with what happened through Samuel and so on and so forth. We see signs and wonders. Messiah proved he was Messiah through signs and wonders. Remember in, in the Gospels, it says the Jew requires what? The Jew requires a sign. Why? Because we want to see Messiah and Messiah perform signs and wonders because Messiah is God himself robed in flesh. And that is what now dwells within us as believers in Messiah empowered with the Ruach HaKodesh is that dunamis, that dunamai, that, that power of God is now a part of who we are. Now, as believers, far too often we, we don't actually walk in that power. You know Why? If I go to the breaker box on the other side of the synagogue and I hit the uh, turn off the breaker to the, the sanctuary, you can stick your finger in the sockets all day long and it's never going to bother you, right? Every time we allow sin to creep into our lives, in essence, what we're doing is turning off a breaker on the flow of the power of God. We're turning off a breaker. We're shutting down. We're putting a barrier between the power of God and what God has called us to be and who we are. We're putting a barrier between what God wants to do in our lives and what we're allowing him to do in our lives. Every time we allow sin to creep into our, creep into our lives, this is what we're doing. We're destroying what God can and wants to do through us. And it's important to realize that God wants to use us for his purposes, for his kingdom. He gave us the Ruach HaKodesh. He gave us the mantle of his Holy Spirit so that we can be used for his purposes, for his kingdom. As we said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, but you will receive power when the Ruach HaKodesh has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and through all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
He hasn't given us the power, the dunamis of the Ruach HaKodesh that we can sit on our thumbs. He hasn't given us to us so that we can start a televangelist TV series and ask people to send us $400 and we'll send them a coffee mug. He hasn't, he hasn't given it to us so that we can go out and kick people in the face from the stage and scream, you're healed, or to wave our... I saw a video of a, a particular televangelist that I'm not going to mention on the recording uh, the other day that somebody had posted on Facebook that, that was imparting the Ruach HaKodesh, imparting the Holy Spirit on people, and he had his suit jacket that he'd taken off and was waving it in the air at people. And He didn't give us his Holy Spirit for us to make a, a, a laughing stock and a show of him. He didn't give us the Holy Spirit that we could be a circus. He gave us the Holy Spirit for His kingdom and His purposes. He gave us the Holy Spirit so we could be a witness to Jerusalem through all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, that we can impact this world around us for His purposes. That dunamis power, that, that, that ever exponential power of the presence of the Lord, the mantle of the Ruach HaKodesh is what the disciples walked in every single day of their life from Acts 2 and on. And we can read about it over and over and over and over and over again in the book of Acts. The whole first half of the book of Acts is all about the Talmudim walking in this newfound power of the presence of the Lord. Not for their purposes, but for the purposes of the kingdom of God that others might come to faith and be saved. We see the disciples uh, walking out the submission, this, this willingness to lay their lives down and let the Ruach HaKodesh lead them. And the signs and wonders that flowed through that. We see these signs and wonders uh, throughout the book of Acts. We can go to Acts chapter 3. Go ahead and flip to Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, we read about the lame beggar at the very beginning. The lame beggar says, Now Peter and John, verse 1, were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the time of prayer. A man lame from birth was being carried. Every day they used to put him at the temple gates, uh, the temple gate called Beautiful, so he could beg for Sadaka for gifts from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive Sadaka. Verse 4, but Peter along with John looked him straight, in the eye, straight at him and said, looked him straight in the eyes, uh, that's the American coming out of me, um, but, but Peter along with John looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he gave them his attention. The power, the dunamis power of the Ruach HaKodesh grabbed him. When they said, look at us, it wasn't just somebody saying, hey, look at me, whoop-de-doo. They said, look at us. This guy heard the voice of God speaking to them. And he stopped what he was doing and he looked them dead in the eyes. Said So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have I give to you in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach HaNatsrati. Get up and walk. Then grabbing him by the right hand, he raised him up. And immediately the man's feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began walking, and he went with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Now all the people saw him walking and praising God. They began to realize he was the one who used to sit begging for Zedakah at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and astonishment over what had happened. Peter begins to preach to them about exactly what happened, and he begins to tell them about the power and the presence of the Lord and what the Lord can do. And there were those that were added that day that were saved because they saw the presence of God in their midst. You want to know why people aren't coming to faith in the world that we live in today? 
in the same way we read about in the book of Acts? It's because you and I and the rest of the body of Messiah have lost focus on what it means to walk in the power of the mantle of the Ruach HaKodesh. Every time in the book of Acts that we see people coming to faith, it's because people saw the presence of God in their midst. They saw the power of God in their midst. They saw the signs and wonders that proved that God was walking among them in their midst. We don't walk in that power. We don't live in that power. Heck, half the time we're skeptical of that power. If it were to happen to some of us, through some of us, I'm pretty sure we would denounce it. And there are denominations that do entirely denounce the activity of the Ruach HaKodesh, of the Holy Spirit today. It's a theological principle called cessationism, that the presence of the Holy Spirit has ceased to operate in our midst today, that it was a first century thing, it is not a 21st century thing. And I hate to break it to you, that is just not biblical. That is just not biblical. We may, and look, my, my mother grew up in a, and I'm not going to say the name of the denomination, my mother grew up in a hyper-legalistic, ultra-Pentecostal church, right? My mom was raised in this church that Sunday evening service started at 6 and people weren't done hopping pews till 3 in the morning, all right? Um, that if, if you didn't speak in tongues, you made it up as you went because you didn't want to be that guy, all right? That there was somebody baptized every single service. It didn't matter if he had to go three or four times a week. Somebody was getting baptized that service. I grew up knowing those people, or at least the early years of my life. And, and I'm hyper-skeptical of all of that kind of stuff. Not of the actual true move of God. And I've seen it. I've experienced it. I'm alive because of God's signs and wonders and miracles. Um, I was, when I was little, I had a uh, problem breathing one day, a real severe problem breathing one day. My parents took me to the doctor and they ran all sorts of tests and x-rays and all kinds of things on me uh, on numerous different machines. They tried to find out what was going on and they diagnosed me with asthma so severe that if I walked outside the front door, because we lived on dirt road, if I walked outside the front door, I might die. Um, in, in essence, they wanted me to be a bubble kid. Um, then they, they, they told me I had severe bronchitis as well at the exact same time and that they spotted what they thought was a hole in my lung. Um, and they wanted me to come back the next week to have more tests and x-rays done and deeper, deeper tests so they could see exactly what it was on my lung, exactly what was going on and figure out a treatment and prognosis. And, uh, and so we went, uh, to church. I was, you know, maybe four or five at the time. It was before my brother was born, before we got involved in Messianic Judaism. We went to church and my parents just flat out said, look, we need prayer for our kid. And people gathered around and prayed over me. I went back for the next doctor's appointment. They ran x-rays on every possible x-ray machine they had in the doctor's office. They took me to another office nearby and ran x-rays there. They couldn't find anything. There was no asthma. There was no bronchitis. There was no spot on my lung. There was nothing. I've seen the power of God in my life. I've gotten into car accidents that should have killed me, that there is literally no explanation to me walking away from it. Uh, I was in an accident in Lake Forest when I was in high school that I hit the guy wire of a telephone pole um, in Lake Forest. And when the, the investigators and the, the uh, first responders and all come out, they're looking at the scene and they went, if you'd have been two feet to the left, you would have hit this power pole and taken out half of Lake Forest power um, and you would have died. If you'd have been two feet to the right, you would have missed the guy wire altogether and dropped in the ravine back here and nobody would have found you for days and you would have died. I hit a guy wire that big around 
hit it so hard that I move, the, you ever grab one of those guy wires on a telephone pole, the things that are designed to keep it from falling? They don't move at all. I moved it 15 feet forward, shot back like a rubber band into its original place. The front clip of the van was wrapped around the guy wire. They had to get Jaws of Life out to take the van off the guy wire. The engine in the van was sitting between the captain seats on my knee. Um, the, the, I slammed my face into the steering wheel so hard that blood was everywhere. By some miracle of God, I did not break my nose. I did not break any bones in my face. Um, I had no actual injuries other than a bloody nose. I had no actual injuries. Um, the force of my face hitting the steering wheel should have caused problems. The force of the seatbelt on my body should have broke ribs. I had no problems, no injuries at all. I have no clue other than the power and the, 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 the purposes of God for me to walk away from that accident, but I did. And I know now I walked away from that accident so I can be here in this congregation ministering to the people that God has placed here. That's the power and the presence of God in our lives. And we want to tell God, hey, you know what? You freaked me out with all that stuff, so I'm just going to say you don't actually work today. Because it's easier to say you don't actually work today than to have to own up to the fact that it's weird and I don't understand it. And it spooks me. Look, you think people weren't spooked when somebody got up out the grave and started talking? When Lazarus came forth, you don't think people were freaked out? When the masses saw the resurrected Yeshua on the Mount of Olives ascend into the sky, you don't think people freaked out? Would you? I would. That's not normal. But that's the beauty of the power of the Ruach HaKodesh is it eliminates the discussion of normality because it takes us from the planes of what we think of in human terms of normality to the planes of what God thinks of as normality. And what God thinks of as normality is restoration, redemption, renewal, being restored to the presence of God, being saved by the blood of the Lamb. These are things that don't make sense in language of normality, human normality. It doesn't make sense. But this is the way God works. Outside the constructs of what our teeny little brains can think up. We can look further into Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we see uh, Peter and the others begin to, to, uh, to speak into the Sanhedrin and, and begin to preach and minister there. Uh, at the end of Acts chapter 4, verse uh, 32, it says, Now the whole group of those who believed was one in heart and mind. No one would say anything he owned was his. Uh, but, his but they had everything in common with great power. The emissaries were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Yeshua, and abundant favor was upon them. With great power, that word again is dunamis. With the power of the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh, with the mantle of the Spirit upon them, with the dunamis power, they were giving witness. Uh, with great power, the emissaries were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Yeshua, and abundant favor was upon them all. No one among them was needy, for all who were owners of lands or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds. Notice, they didn't just outright sell everything and give it all to some happy central pot. They sold stuff if it was needed to take care of others because it was there. You know, we, and especially in America, we look at it as though it's the government's job to take care of the, the needy, Right? Welfare exists because we, the body of Messiah, didn't want to do our job. What was it Yeshua said? Take care of the sick, the orphan, the needy, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the widowed, 
take care of those that cannot take care of themselves. And we went, eh, nah, I'll just keep it for myself. Let the government handle it. It's easier that way. They take my taxes anyways. Let them do it. But the Lord says it's our responsibility. Verse 36, now Joseph, also called Barnabas by emissaries, which is translated son of encouragement, was a Levite native of Cyprus. He sold a field that he owned and brought the money. Uh, that really doesn't matter to anything. I'm sorry. I don't know why I kept reading that. Uh, and then it goes on to talk about Ananias and Sapphira, which is really funny because they lie to the Ruach HaKodesh. They tell the Lord, I'm going to give you, the, if I sell this thing, this property, I'm going to give you uh, all of it and it's all going to be yours. And, and the time came and they sold their stuff and they held on to a portion of it and gave what was left to the Lord and thought nobody would know the difference. And you know what? Nobody did. But the Lord, the Lord knew. And what happened? The Lord struck them down. They both died. They were both given a chance to, to own up to it, to fess up to it. I'm pretty sure if they'd handed the rest of the money over, they'd have had a chance to repent. But they both lied again. Skipping to verse chapter 5, verse 12. Meanwhile, through the hands of the emissaries, many, many signs and wonders were happening among the people, and they were all together in Solomon's portico, but no one else dared to join them, though the people continued to think highly of them. Yet more than ever, those trusting in the Lord were added, large numbers of men and women. They even carried the sick into the streets and laid them on stretchers and cots so that when Peter passed by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Crowds were also gathering from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing those who were sick and tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Dunamis power. They operated in the dunamis power, in the mantle of the Ruach HaKodesh, in the mantle of the Holy Spirit. They let the Holy Spirit lead their footsteps, guide their words, guide their actions. Remember, we've talked before, and we talked about it when we, when we looked at Yeshua and the, the, the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, is that when we pray today for healing, we got to tell God what's going on and why it's going on and who's being affected and what the doctor said and what the prognosis might be and what we hope the prognosis could be and what's going to happen if they have to have this procedure or that procedure and, and what we really want to see happen and what, what it would mean to the world if this happened and what it would mean to Tanzania if this happened and what it would mean to China if this happened. And all the time we're trying to build our faith in what God can do. When we read in the Gospels, when people came to Yeshua and said, hey, why is it we couldn't do this? The Lord said, because you didn't have enough faith. He didn't say because home dude with a broken leg didn't have enough faith to get up and walk. He said, because you, with the power, the dunamis of the mantle, the Ruach HaKodesh, did not have enough faith. When we look at Yeshua, when we look at the, the emissaries, the, the Tamudim, the disciples of Messiah, the Shilchim, the emissaries, the sent ones, what we realize is, and we just read about it with the, the man at the gates, the beggar at the gates of the temple, when Peter said, look, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I'll give to you right now. I'll give it to you. Get up and walk. Peter didn't wait around to hope that it might happen. What did Peter do? He picked him up and sent him on his way, took him into the temple, right? Yeshua, Yeshua said, when the, the comforter comes, when the Ruach comes, you will be able to do even greater things than I did. You know what Yeshua did when he healed people? He told them to go show it to themselves. He told him to go, when he, when he healed the guy with Zarat, he said, go to the temple and do what you need to do. He didn't go with him. You know what Peter did? Peter picked him up and walked in the temple and said, hey, look what the Lord just did. You want to feel it? You want to feel it? You want to experience? You want to know it? 
People saw what God was doing through the mantle of his Ruach HaKodesh on them. And unlike, unlike with Elijah and Elisha, people were bringing everyone that was sick or tormented by demons, they were bringing everyone out to the streets, hoping that even Peter's shadow might fall on them. Later we read that with, uh, with Paul that, that people were hoping that, that if they could just grab, uh, touch him with their handkerchief, they would bring the handkerchief back and touch the people and they would be healed. That's operating the power of the Spirit. When think, people think if you just pass by and, and I accidentally brush you, somebody else might get healed. People are seeing God in you. Notice, notice Paul did not take his jacket off and waft it at them himself. People thought it would work and tried it. Paul didn't do it. People bring their sick out and lay them in the streets hoping Peter's, Peter's shadow might fall on them and they could be healed. And what does it say? It says, crowds were also gathering from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing those who were sick, tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Peter didn't tell God these people's problems. Peter didn't tell God what the doctor said. He didn't tell God how many lives were going to be affected if somebody died or if somebody was sick or if somebody couldn't produce an income. He didn't tell God how much the community needed to see this salvation or needed to see this healing or needed to see this death raised. He said, get up and walk. Open your eyes and see. The Spirit of God flows in you and I for His purposes. The question is, are we going to walk in faith in the power of the mantle of the Ruach HaKodesh that is upon us? Are we going to live faithfully to what the Lord says He can and will do in our lives. In Acts chapter 7, we read another example uh, in Acts chapter 7 about the presence of the Lord and how He operates and how He moves and heals people. You can go and read it yourself. In Acts chapter uh, uh, 8 and 9, um, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 7, uh, we read about Stephen's martyrdom and we read about the power of God. I want you to understand this. Peter was given a chance, uh, Stephen was given a chance to testify in his own behalf. While he looked at guys that had stones ready to kill him, the dunamis power, the presence of the mantle of the Ruach HaKodesh was so powerful on him, he started back at the beginning, just like we did with this study. We went back to Bereshit. He started back at the beginning, and he preached the message of salvation, what Yeshua came to do, why he came to do it. He wasn't afraid to die. He wasn't afraid of what might happen. He preached with power and with authority. And the outcome was that the man that they laid their stones at the feet of asking for his approval, named Paul, became a believer two chapters later. I believe that the power and the authority of the Ruach HaKodesh was upon Stephen softened the stony heart of Paul so that two chapters later when he has his experience with the presence of the Lord, he was prepared to receive and to hear we see over and over again, and, and, and a lot of times people like to look at, at this discussion of how the mantle of the Ruach, Kodesh, is, um, is, is given. And, and a lot of times we read this and we look at it uh, in the modern sense, we look at Acts chapter 2 or we look at Acts chapter 10, we look at, at the Jews on, on Shavuot or we look at the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 in Cornelius' house and we think that every single time it should be this just down out, this outpouring downward experience, this flood of the Spirit of God and everybody's now filled with the Spirit of God, right? But if we look scripturally, everything we've looked at up to this point is the mantle of the Ruach HaKodesh was moved from person to person, Right? It's moved from person to person. Now, 
it being for an individual at a specific, a specific individual at a specific time for a specific purpose, that's no longer an issue. It's now for all. But it still is transferred. It is still empowered in the same way. The mantle of the Ruach HaKodesh, it was outpoured on those in Acts chapter 2. It was outpoured on those in Acts chapter 10. And now it's our job. It's our job to impart that mantle of the Ruach HaKodesh on others. We go to Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 4. Now those who had been scattered went around proclaiming the word. Philip went down to the main city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were paying close attention to what Philip was saying as they both heard and saw the signs that he was doing. For unclean spirits were coming out of many who were plagued, shrieking with a loud voice. Many paralyzed and crippled were healed also. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon had been practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria saying he was someone great. They all were paying special attention to him, saying this man is the power of God that is called great. Notice, unlike everyone else, it wasn't this man is empowered by. They said this man is the power of God called great. And they kept paying attention to him because for a long time he had astonished them with his magical arts. But when they believed Philip proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Messiah Yeshua, both men and women were immersed. Even Simon himself believed. And after being immersed, he continued with Philip. And when he saw signs and great miracles happening, he was continually amazed. Now when the emissaries in Jerusalem heard that, that Samaria had accepted the message of God, they sent Peter and John to them. They came down and prayed for them to receive the Ruach HaKodesh, for he had not yet come upon them. They had only been immersed in the name of the Lord Yeshua. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were received. They were receiving the Ruach HaKodesh. It wasn't just this mass outpouring on all of those that wanted to receive it. They came down, they prayed that they would receive the Ruach, and they laid hands on them. And there was a transference of the mantle, the Ruach HaKodesh, that was put upon them. There was a literal immersion in the, the Ruach HaKodesh. It wasn't just this big boom, everybody's covered in the Spirit type of experience. We go to Acts chapter 9. <clears throat> Verse 17, this is after Saul, known as Paul, becomes a believer and has this encounter with Messiah. Verse 17 says, So Ananias left and entered into the house, laying hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Yeshua, the one who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Ruach HaKodesh. He again imparted the Ruach HaKodesh on Paul. Paul just had this massive experience. You don't think the Lord could have done something then? There's something biblical to this concept. The Ruach was imparted by Ananias onto Paul, as we read about in Acts chapter 8, and now um, in Acts chapter 9, in Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Now a Jewish man named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man, well-versed in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. With a fervent spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the facts about Yeshua while only being acquainted with the immersion of John. John, uh, Yochanan Hamadbil, John the Baptist, John the Immerser, not uh, the disciple Yeshua John. This man began speaking out boldly in the synagogue, 
But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately. When Apollos wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. Upon arrival, he greatly helped those who by grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jewish people in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Messiah was, that, that Messiah was Yeshua. While Apollos, verse 19, chapter 19, verse 1, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul traveled there. Uh, through the upper region and came to Ephesus. He found disciples and said to them, did you receive the Ruach HaKodesh when you believed? They replied to him, no, we've never even heard that there is a Ruach HaKodesh. These are believers in Messiah Yeshua that are preaching Messiah Yeshua, that are seeing people come to faith in Messiah Yeshua, that are saying, we've never even heard of the Ruach HaKodesh. He said, into what were you immersed? They said, into John's immersion. Paul said, John immersed with an immersion of repentance telling people that they should believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Yeshua. When they heard this, they were immersed in the name of the Lord Yeshua. And when Paul laid hands upon them, the Ruach HaKodesh came upon them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And all, there were about 12 men. We see that there's this biblical precedence in the Brich HaDashah, in the New Covenant writing, a biblical precedence in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament. There is a biblical precedence of the mantle of the Ruach HaKodesh being taken, or not literally taken in the sense as we see it today, but being uh, uh, imparted by the laying on of hands throughout Scripture, uh, leading up to Acts 2 and everything post-Acts 2. It was an imparting by the laying on of hands. In Hebrew, we call it a smicha. There's an anointing. You know, I was uh, uh, ordained or anointed as a rabbi. There was a laying on of hands, a smicha that occurred. And the same with the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. There was a smicha, an anointing of the Ruach HaKodesh, a laying on of hands for the impartation of the Ruach HaKodesh. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't circumstances in which the power of God moves and people are just filled. All right? I'm not saying that that is not possible. But there is overwhelming support scripturally that it is more predominant that this is the way the Ruach HaKodesh is imparted, all right? Not with people waving their jackets around. Not, uh, uh, what was his name, uh, Todd Bentley kicking people on the face from the stage with his boot. Um, that's not how the Spirit of God works. God is grace, love, and mercy. He's not vindictive. He's not angry. He's not harsh. He's not mean, right? Who do we think we are to, to go and make a fool of God? Look through the scriptures and see if anyone who made a fool of God ever came out on the right side. God made a point out of them. We have been given the impartation, the indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh, the power, the dunamis power of the presence of God in our lives so that we can impact the world around us for His kingdom, not for ours. And most certainly not to make a fool of the presence of God. Just like the apostles, just like the, the emissaries that we read about in the book of Acts, we are required, we are expected by God to fully and wholly submit our hearts and our lives to the leading of the Ruach HaKodesh. The people that wrote the scriptures, they wrote the scriptures at the leading of the Ruach. They laid their lives down to put those scriptures out. The people who came to the emissaries in the book of Acts to be healed, they came to them because they were wholly submitted to the leading of the Ruach, and they believed that because the emissaries were wholly submitted to the leading of the Ruach HaKodesh, that they could be healed. And they came to find salvation because of it. Look, we want to see people saved today. We live in what is known as a post-truth era. 
Right? We don't live in modernity or post-modernity or any of that anymore. We live in post-truth era now. The post-truth era says what is that there is no definitive truth. There is no finite truth. What is truth for you may not be truth for me, and it may not be truth for the next guy, just like my truth may not be truth for that guy. That each of us define and determine our own truth, which is why you have guys acting like girls and girls acting like guys, and nobody seems to question it. Because who are we to tell somebody else what truth is? We live in this post-truth era, which means I can preach the gospel all day long with conviction, with the power and the presence of the Ruach HaKodesh speaking through me. But until people see the power and presence of God in my life before they hear those words, they will never be changed. Because the problem is, is as believers, we don't align our lives with the impartation of the mantle of the Ruach that we have received. And so we speak in the power, but we don't live in the power. And when we don't live in the power, people are skeptical of the words that we speak in the power because they don't see our lives aligning with it. If we preach against sin while walking in sin, visibly, especially walking in sin, nobody's going to hear the words or want to hear the words that we say. If we preach against sin while hiding sin, the darkness takes over, right? The Word of God said where the light of God is, it overcomes the darkness. But when we allow the darkness to take over, as opposed to allowing the light to overcome, doesn't matter how much we speak the good word, our lives are not in line. And in a post-truth era, people are going to say, you talk it, but you don't walk it. And if you're not walking it, why should I care? If you don't believe enough in this product that you're selling to live by it, to use it, why should I believe in the product you're selling? We are emissaries. We are shalachim. We are, are disciples of Messiah Yeshua. We are Talmudim of Messiah Yeshua. The emissaries of the Talmudim in the Gospels, the emissaries of the Talmudim in the book of Acts, they did things by walking in the power, in the dunamis power, the miraculous power of the Ruach HaKodesh. But we as believers today, we're skeptical. We're afraid. We don't want to look different. We don't want the world to think we're weird. Well, guess what? You're weird with or without the presence of God. All right? Get over it. We all are. Which means we already have nothing to lose. But the kingdom has everything to gain if we allow the dunamis power of the mantle, the Ruach HaKodesh, to fully and completely overtake our lives. When was the last time that any of us in this room who have received the promise of the Lord that we could do greater things with the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, when was the last time that any of us in this room had people lay their sick at our feet that our shadows might fall and then they may be healed? When was the last time that we called forth somebody from the grave? Now, it might be a little harder now because they've got to dig their way out you know, before they just walk out of a cave. But, but when was the last time we called somebody forth from the dead? When was the last time we proclaimed sight in the blind or hearing in the deaf? When was the last time that we, with every ounce of faith, prayed for somebody to be healed, knowing, not hoping, knowing that they were going to be healed? We spend way too much time trying to build our own faith, which is why Yeshua said, ye of little faith, over and over and over again. 
We shouldn't be of little faith. 2,000 years removed from all of these things happening, all of the things that we've had opportunities to see in our lives, we shouldn't be of little faith. This is why in our congregation, when we're asked to pray for healing, I don't talk it anymore. We just proclaim healing in the name and the blood of Yeshua, our Messiah. We proclaim it, and we've seen it. It's not to say that I'm great by any means. Anybody that knows me, especially my wife, will tell you I'm way short of great. But I'm willing to walk in the dunamis power of the presence of the Lord. In the dunamis power of the mantle of the Ruach HaKodesh. I'm willing to walk in the indwelling of the Spirit of God that is upon me. And I pray that everyone in our congregation will be. Because the thing you've got to notice as we close... The thing you got to notice as we look through the book of Acts is these events didn't necessarily take, take, take course in synagogues or the temple. You know where they took course at? In the streets, in people's homes, in the marketplace. People were brought into the synagogue for shepherding, for being led from milk to meat. People come to salvation when they see the presence of God in their midst. They don't come to salvation just because we can give them the Roman road, which by the way is not biblical. Somebody made that up. That's why it doesn't go sequentially. It jumps all over the place. All right? People don't come to faith because somebody said, hey, would you repeat after me? I'm a sinner. All right? It's not to, to degrade somebody who has found salvation in those accounts. But that's not the way we read it happen in the Scriptures. And that's not the way we're going to see it happen in the post-truth era. People have to see the presence of God in their midst again. We as believers in Messiah Yeshua have to walk knowing that there is truth and the dunamis power, the mantle, the Ruach HaKodesh. We have to walk fervently in the mantle that has been put upon us and the, the indwelling of His presence in our lives. We have to be overcome by His presence so that people will come to us so that people will ask us questions. I love when people walk up and go, see, I knew there was something different about you. Not because I want to be prideful about it, but because that means they saw God instead of me, and that's where it's at, right? Abraham, Father of mercies, we love you, we worship you, we adore you, Father. We thank you for speaking correction into our hearts and lives. Father, I pray that you continue to speak correction into our lives, that we may become more in line with what you desire, that we may become more in line with what your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, wants to do among us. Father, I pray for an overwhelming abundance of your Ruach HaKodesh, of your Holy Spirit, in our congregation, upon our own individual lives, upon all of those hearing the podcast of this message, Father. I pray that we will wholly submit ourselves to your will, to your ways, to your Ruach. Father, the same Ruach that inspired the words that are written on the pages of the Bible now resides within us, empowers us, and equips us to change this world for the kingdom of God. Father, let us as believers finally once in the history of the body of Messiah actually do good in this world for your kingdom, not for ours or our theology or our ideology or what we want to say or believe, but for your kingdom, O oh God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in all things, Lord. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen.